In today's podcast, I'm talking to Diane Blackman, who essentially is a mortgage advisor, but she's now just moved her business into covering all things utilities, essential household. And it was great talking to her, and she broke down a few myths for me. Hello, welcome to the David Watson podcast. Thank you, David. How are you? Good to see you. And I'm you? very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. And just very quickly, um, thank you to Lindsay for the introduction, who introduces me to so many people via the Zoom and internet network that she has. And just, could you just tell everyone what you do? Yes, yeah, so um, my background is as a mortgage advisor, but I also have another business. And at the moment, I'm bringing those businesses together, hence where I've been working so closely with Lindsay lately yeah. and she felt it would be a good idea for us to connect. So basically what I do is I help people with everything to do with their home under one roof. So whether it's looking at their mortgage, their bills um, and with the experience I have you know, as a, a homeowner myself, um, previously a tenant, all of that sort of thing, I know who I can recommend people onto if they need anything to do with their home. So that's basically what I do. So this is kind of, is this adding on from being a mortgage advisor? Or actually, as a mortgage advisor, I kind of had to need, I needed to know all of these things as a sideline. So I've brought the two together. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a combination of those two things, David. It's um, the fact that I build on relationships with my clients or my customers yeah. uh, and because they we begin to know like and trust each other I'll get a phone call from them saying you know Diane you know you helped me move into to my house six months ago we need an electrician now who can you recommend or our buy to let portfolio we we're looking to change letting agents who would you suggest um, or we've we're getting a rubbish deal on our on our broadband who could you recommend and so it's all of that kind of thing. And I've realised that there's obviously a need for a one-stop person. Yeah. To pull out. Um, and so that's why what I've decided to do is is just bring the whole thing together. Rather than say, you know, I've got this business here and this business here, but they dovetail together. And at the same time, I can help people, you know. Of, everything. I can't go and do the electrics myself, yeah. but I know four or five electricians that I can I can recommend or if it's a roofer scaffolder they need a patio done all of these things I've gone through myself so I can share that experience and help people especially first-time buyers because they might not you know they don't yeah. necessarily know what they're doing so, so it's a bit like an in-person yellow pages but you can trust that you can trust with no, but, you know. yeah yeah I guess so yeah because I mean yeah. when we're not you know when we when I was growing up you went to the yellow pages and in and you looked through the yellow pages and then you would ask around, does anybody recommend blah, blah, blah. So it's, you know, because it does make sense. If I'm going to come to you for a mortgage, you know, I'm going, part of what you sell me is you, is you the trust. Yes. You know, so Very then. Much. I need to know a lot about you. You've got to yeah. trust me with that information. Yeah, well, you're going to know everything about me. What I earn, what's in my bank account, what's not in my bank account. <laughs> you know, what I can afford, you know. Yes. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to Absolutely. kind of, you're going to know as much about me as any partner that's been with me. 
Yes. If not more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. And and that's the thing, you know, it, it is about you've got to trust that person. And and one of the things that I do with anybody that's referred to me is we get to know each other first because they might not want to work with me. And I accept that, you know, there's always going to be personality clashes somewhere. Some people love me, some people not so much. And it's just how it is. Um, and occasionally I've had to say to people, you know, I don't think I can work with you. Yeah. Because because it, 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 it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Um, and, you know, as I say, it's a two-way street. And that's why I like to get to know my clients. And my clients, are they come back to me all the time. So I know that I'm doing a good job. No, because, I mean, people coming back is the clearest sign that you're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. So how are you making these connections with tradespeople? Um, it has literally been either because I've needed them myself. Yeah. So I've had to either ask somebody for a recommendation um, or um, within my other business, we have an income opportunity, which suits, you know, any anybody can do this as long as they're, they're open-minded and coachable enough. And within that team of people, I, we have window cleaners, electricians, oven cleaners, carpet fitters, solicitors. Um, the list is endless within this team. And so I can call on them to help them with other people that I know. And it works the other way as well. Those people might need somebody I've done a mortgage for so I can then recommend them to that person so it's all very very cross referral and what's this coaching team this okay so yeah so I, I work with a direct selling business as well and I've done that for 11 years now and that helps people and you know none of what I do is overly sexy or exciting um it's essential it's very essential <laughs> Um, and the business that I'm partnered with for that offers essential services. So it's the things you need every day. Um, and what we do is we recommend those services onto people that we know and eventually to people we don't know through referral. And that in turn, rather than that company advertise to attract new customers, it just pays us a, a small commission for doing it. Yeah. But, um, we get a percentage each month for as long as those customers stay with the company we get a percentage each month so we do the job once but we get paid over and over and over again which is great actually for everybody because it means the customers getting a great deal and they're happy because they're staying um, and we are incentivized for looking after those customers so it actually works exceptionally well oh, that's good that's good and just what are the what's your website just so we go get it in there and i'll provide links at the end as well yeah so at the moment i'm in collaboration with lindsay i'm in the process of putting the website together we've just done the website brief so it's not actually live yet yeah. but people can contact me uh through either through facebook if they just search for diane blackman I will come up on Facebook and there's a Diane Blackman TM, which is my Facebook mortgage page. We don't, because the direct selling company doesn't actually advertise, there's nothing along there for people to connect with me. But if they connect with me ordinarily, then I can then explain exactly what that is. Because if 
it just takes so long if yeah. I try to read it. Otherwise, it's just easier for me to run through a presentation. And some people like it, some people don't. Yeah, that's good. So how, how did this, where or where did this all start for you? Goodness me. When I left school uh, several years ago now, uh, I started as an office junior in Salisbury working for an insurance broker. And I was literally just doing admin. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really enjoy school. And those who, school friends... Who does? With me now, yeah, I just, I just did enough to stay under the radar and out of trouble. I, I really didn't enjoy it. And the school friends that I'm still in touch with now will remember that. Um, <laughs> I, I started doing admin for an insurance broker and audio typing for a financial advisor in the afternoon. Through doing his audio work, I was beginning to pick up on what he was doing as a, as a mortgage and protection advisor. So I decided to take my financial planning exams uh, when I was, I think I was about 20 when I decided to do that. Um, and quickly sort of progressed up through and became an office manager and a compliance officer. So from a financial conduct authority, or it was, I think it was the PIA in FIMBRA back in those days. I was running the compliance function for quite a large broker in Salisbury and then graduated across in the late 90s uh, to helping some of the advisors with their mortgages before taking the plunge in 2001 um, to becoming a full a fledged mortgage advisor and then went self-employed working for myself in 2005. Oh, wow. So it, it was really, it's, it's one of those things where it, you stumbled into work after school yeah. and, and then, <laughs> no, but that, that's, you know, that, that's how all, I, I got into care because uh, 16 years ago, because I was on a writing course in the evenings and the person I was sat next to was an occupational therapist who needed a support worker, a part-time support worker. And I was just, wow. and she was just like, I think you might be all right. He's, he's a young male adult with a head injury. I was like, oh, right, I'll give yeah. it a go. And <laughs> 16 yeah. years later, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of, yeah, very specialised and, you know, do a lot with head injuries and a lot with coaching. It's, But it, if I'd never gone to that writing course, who knows what I'd have ever learned, you know, how I'd have ever done yeah. it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I just, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school. So I went along to what was the youth training scheme back then. YTS. Yeah, I was a YTS girl um, and got, yeah, got this interview with this insurance brokers and they offered me the job and I was just like, yeah, I'll take it. And, you know, and I think as well, what's interesting is my maths teacher said to me at school, uh, I'd be lucky to walk away with the CSE grade five. Here I am telling people or show advising people uh, on their finances. Yeah, I know. It is crazy, isn't it? And it bring, is crazy. Bringing it back to the finances. So we'll go with the mortgage stuff first, and then I'll get much more into the utilities and stuff like that. Yeah. Is, just for hypothetical, do you have an average type of customer? No, because everybody's different. Everyone's okay. um you know it's and i and i do deal with everything from first time buyers to people who are remortgaging people who are 
moving to another property or letting out their current one, buying a new one to landlords who've got portfolios. So, yeah. so I'm going to try and simplify this question and I suspect it's not a simple answer. And so okay. take your time. Right. If, 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 if somebody's listening to this and they want to come to you for a mortgage, what do you need them to know about themselves up front? Um, they just, well, I just need to be able to get some some actual facts about them. So they need to know what it is that they're, they're potentially looking to do, whether that's that they're looking to buy now, or it could be that, you know, we've got somebody who, who's got a dream to buy a house, potentially doesn't think that they can, and they want to have a chat now to see what they need to do to get from A to B. And I, I do that quite a bit of work in that regard with first time buyers who, you know, they just don't know where to start. They okay. have a clue about budgeting or deposits or anything. And I will sit down and go right back to basics with them. So let's, let's run that then. Let's run that one as a, as yeah. a scenario. So first time buyer, what do yeah. I, what do I need to know? Right, so with a first-time buyer, I will talk to them about what savings they've got already, um, what, how they've conducted their accounts. We'll look at their bank statements and, we'll, and, I'll, and I'll go through their bank statements with them and pick out anything which I think may cause an issue. Um, because, you know, a lot of the time you, people don't realise that, oh, I went over my overdraft last month, that'll be all right. I paid it straight back three days later. Well, actually... It might not be. Yeah. So it's a sort of looking at that and and also things like, you know, their expenditure, how they can increase their deposit through looking at their expenditure. It's like, well, you've got Now TV, you've got Sky, you've got um, Spotify, you're running this, you're running that. Well, do you really need all of that? Or you're buying Costa in the morning, Costa in the afternoon, you know, if you really want to buy this house within 18 months, you're going to need to start taking a glass to work. And I often get laughed at for that one. But, you know, you, you've got to think about these things. Yes, a Costa coffee uh, or Starbucks, because coffee shops are available, um, are, are, uh, are convenient, quick and everything. But when you add that up every day, it might only feel like £3 a day, but actually... That's £18 a week. And over the cost of the year, that could be the difference between, you know, having that deposit or not. So we sit down and, as I say, we're not just talking about mortgages. We're talking about everything. And we're finding out exactly what it is they want. But more important, I think, why they want it. Because if we can find out why they want it, they'll be more likely to work harder to achieve it. Yeah. I'm just going to interrupt with something. It does. No, it does. Because you've just made a very valid point about coffee. Because for people that know me, they know I like my coffee. And I worked out last, at the beginning of 2019, that the previous year I'd spent about £3,000 on coffee, right, going to coffee shops, right? And I had, I had literally umpteenth loyalty cuts. So I bought that. And that represents about two months' worth of coffee in terms of how much it cost me to buy that uh, around Cilio Miss Lucy. All right? Yeah. 
and I spend about maximum thirty pound a month on beans. Yeah. And that paid that honestly paid for itself in two months. Yes. And it's just like, and it's amazing because, like you said, I would have coffee in the morning, coffee in the afternoon, and it maybe even coffee in the evening. Yeah. And I never noticed the two pound seventy five, the two pound, you know, I ne- I never noticed it. And you don't because you just you just chip and pin it all the time. You're not actually handing the cash over. You're chipping yeah. and it's don't even notice. And I didn't even, you know, as I'm talking to you, it's like how much money have I saved in petrol in a year? just by not diverting off to a coffee shop. Yes. You know, I buy my coffee online. It's I honestly I don't pay any more than about 35 pound a month. Yeah. Uh, it has saved me and I noticed it immediately. I got yeah. to the end of the month and it's like, oh, that's a lot of money just left in the bank because you haven't been buying coffee. Yes. You know. And I think that's a, a good thing for especially first time buyers to understand. You know, I, I I don't want this to sound derogatory, but as we get a lot older, we become much more aware of our spending faults. You know, mm-hmm. and we might continue them, but we're not doing it as an illusion. Do you know what I mean? We, we're we're actually very conscious of I could do this, but I like the comfort that that brings me. Yes. Whereas I, it, it took me a couple of decades to realise that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And a lot of denial along the way. And, but I think when you're younger, when you're like, you know, and, and I'm not trying to, um, like I say, be derogatory to 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds or whatever. But like that list of things you said, Spotify, uh, Scott, uh, um, Sky, Netflix, whatever, you know, the coffee shop, you know, yeah. or, or the gym, the unused gym memberships, all of these things, yes. they add up to such a huge amount at the end of a year and if you yeah. can yeah if you can live without them you know or question what is the real value for money you're getting from them you, you could be a lot closer to buying that house yeah and that's that's it i try and encourage them to to track their spending and i know that that's quite quite sad but once you get into the habit of tracking things and saying to them you know, it might only be 70p for that, that chocolate bar, but if you've got to write down chocolate bar 70p, that might just be too much hassle to keep writing it down so you don't buy it. And then five minutes yeah. later, you've forgotten you want it anyway. And it is, it's those small amounts that over a period of time, but this, they this, just make so much money. But um, this is it. You, if you can save £100 a month, right, I, you wouldn't, if I, as a complete stranger, or even as your friend went up to you and said, can I have £100 and I'm not giving it back to you? You'd say, no, I'm not giving you £100. That's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Well, if you get to the end of the year, that's £1,200. And you're certainly not going to lend me 1200 quid, And you're certainly not going to lend it to me without some guarantee of getting it back. Yeah. But it, it's very difficult for people to understand the daily little habits that chip away at your end-of-month mm-hmm. cash flow is also what yes. chips away a large amount at the end of a year. Yeah. And if you rein that in, £1,200 is a new suite, it's a new cooker, a new washing machine, new fridge freezer, it's a set of tyres yeah. on a car, all of those things that catch you out. It's a holiday. All of those things that catch you out, and you're like, I can't afford. No, no, you, you can afford. You just don't know how to manage your money. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's that's what we, you know, one of the things that I spend time with people for. And, and it might mean that I, I spend an hour or two with them. But we don't do it for years, but that's OK. At least they they kind of know what they need to be doing. And in the meantime, they've probably recommended me on to half a dozen more people. So yeah. and for me, it's about getting that message out there that you know you need to do a little bit of groundwork before you jump in because then you haven't got any any nasty surprises if it doesn't doesn't happen or you know you go and find a house that you really like and then you speak to somebody and then find that that missed payment on a credit card 18 months ago has absolutely scuppered that whereas at least if you knew about it you could remedy that and either wait another six months so more lenders will accept you or at least you're just prepared for that information, that, that you know, that happening. Yeah. Just to, because it's a long time since I've had a mortgage, um, what is the rules now in regards to how many, how much can you borrow against your salary? That does depend, actually, on the lender. It depends on the salary. And it okay. also depends on the deposit. So, OK, let's start so, with deposit myths. Is it is it bigger the deposit the better? Yes, yeah. The bigger the deposit, the less of the risk you represent to the lender. So that will be reflected in the rates that they charge you typically, um, and how they just overall assess the risk. Okay. Um, so, as an example, if you were putting down at least a forty percent deposit. And, you know, this could change immediately because at the moment we are seeing, you know, this is this is strange times right yeah. now in the middle of this pandemic and lenders are very reactive. So something I say now, even though it could be a fact right now, five minutes later, it might not longer be. But, you know, if you're putting down a 40 percent or more deposit, you would pretty much have access to the lowest rates available. Right, okay. Okay. Um, at the start of the pandemic, a lot of lenders withdrew um, mortgages, 90% mortgages. I've seen that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and some of them are coming back in. Uh, there have been lenders throughout the pandemic who have offered 10% deposit mortgages or 90% mortgages, but they have been very far and few between and their criteria for it has been quite strict and you know I need to obviously caveat this that anything I'm saying is this isn't advice this is just a generic conversation yeah. and specific, specifics will apply depending on people's circumstances and just just um, for reference this is relative to Wednesday the 27th of January 2021 yes <laughs> in I the do. United Kingdom yeah. <laughs> yes yeah, so, um, so yeah, and, and you know, we have some lenders who um, who currently aren't offering mortgages to people who are furloughed. Mm. We have some do it if they're furloughed with a return to work date. Some that will do it so long as it's not a, a sole application. They're borrowing with someone else who isn't furloughed. Uh, we're restricting the amount they'll lend as a percentage wise on the property if they're self there's there's a whole um raft of criteria that has come in as a as a result of of this pandemic 
which is why uh advisors are busier than ever yeah yeah because you know you could you can be david's decided he's buying another house so he walks up to his local branch of let's say the halifax and walks in and you don't meet their criteria at the moment so you might think well that means i can't get a mortgage but actually if you'd gone across to say barclays they may well have done it yeah but you had your confidence knocked and you don't know where to go next and that's why the role of of an, an independent mortgage advisor has just become so important now so important i think that's something as well people need to be aware of is banks and i don't i mean this respectively to all banks but they're protecting their own interests you know so their their only interest is the products they can sell so they only have an interest in the clients that meet that criteria you as a mortgage advisor have a very different outlook on that because it's in your interest to get any of your clients what they need so yes. you know it's, it's a much larger slice of the cake if you like you know. yeah. and we're working for that client as well rather than working for a bank or building society we are actually working for that client another one i'd like to really just just what would you suggest is for any parent out there listening if they wanted something like either advice to give their children or if they're fortunate enough what would you suggest they start doing for their children now to give them that deposit at a later date? Again, it's going to be different depending on the parents' circumstances, but it could be encouraging. They could be encouraging their, their children to start budgeting now, to start saving regularly. Um, and if they themselves wanted to give a financial gift towards buying a house, then yet they would need to set up some kind of, savings account or whatever whatever is specific to them really yeah to help them at the point when it's when it's needed um you know we are seeing a lot of the time uh gift deposits coming from from parents or grandparents uh, now just to help give them a leg up onto the uh onto the mortgage ladder or onto the housing ladder really because one of the things i I'd, I'd hope that people can get from this is I've always had the impression that when by the time people decide they want a house or that it's like, Oh, I want a house. I wonder how I go about it. Mm. We don't teach people how you go about it before you decide you want one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we have it in reverse. It's like, yeah. you know, so what is a good criteria to lend money to somebody? Criteria. So you need to be, in the main, creditworthy. You need to be working or have some kind of regular taxable income. You need to have a deposit. You need to be able to prove who you are. Uh, you need... You need a good... You need, you need to know your credit file. And I'm not talking credit score here. I'm talking credit file, which is slightly different. Uh, we, you need to know what's been recorded against you if you have any concerns. For a lot of people, they don't have any concerns at all. But 
you know, if somebody has potentially was a couple of days late with, with something, um, they need to know what's been recorded against them. So it's getting a copy of your credit file from any one of the credit reference agencies out there is always a good start because you know what's there. And if there is anything that's incorrect, you've got the time to get that put right. Yeah. Um, it's just being, you know, you just need to be able to prove everything there is needed, which is, you know, your income, your deposit, uh, your address, your identity, are the kind of the, the main basics uh, that, we, that that we we have to, you know, we look and we verify. Okay. So <clears throat> what makes somebody credit worthy? Maintain their accounts, working within their credit limits, um, and just, you know, being sensible and not over doesn't sound fun does it not thinking no it's as i say you know it's not fun it's very dull um but you know at the end of the day you've got to we're here you know we we need to we need to create yeah a package to this person wants x amount of money would you like to give it to them and if if they can see from their bank statements that they are you know, they're constantly going outside of an authorised overdraft or they are maxed, you know, they've got a, a, a £8,000 limit on their credit card and they're currently at 7950 and they always are because they're only making the minimum payment. All of that sort of thing is showing the lender that they're not overly responsible with their money. Okay. So it's about being able to show that that you're responsible at the end of the day because again we I've some people say oh well I'm you know there's there's over 50% equity in this why won't they give me the money it's like well they you know they don't a lender doesn't want to have to go down the road of repossessing or anything like that so i didn't so know they, that and they have a duty of care they have a duty of care to make sure that they don't overstretch you See, I honestly, I think probably like a lot of people would have believed that if you had 50% equity, anybody will lend you money on that. No. I didn't Still know. Got, you know, you've got, because it's, it's responsible, whether it's from the lending point of view, from the client point of view, it's got to be responsible. It's got to be affordable. It's got to build in an element of... Um, change because we all know life can change very quickly curveballs can be thrown in um and so yeah they they want to make sure that they're making a robust decision and whilst for some people that can be frustrating it's totally understandable totally understandable and again that's another part of my role is we're working together with the client to help them buy that home that they really, really want. They're putting down a good sized deposit. So the other thing that we have to look at is making sure that they protect themselves so that if we do get a curveball, they don't end up losing that house. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's probably just shot one of the biggest myths out there to part because I would have sworn blind. I'd have argued against anyone that, no, 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 if, if, if you know, just keeping numbers say you've got £200,000 a house, you only are hundred grand on it, you'll get a loan, no problem. 
you've you've still got yeah. to meet the criteria. <clears throat> still got to meet the criteria. So another one there that might be a myth that was definitely true twenty odd years ago is it was always good to have some form of credit for a good credit score. Yeah, because you are demonstrating that you can handle credit. So yes, um, however, you've got to demonstrate you are managing that credit correctly. So if, if say, as I say, if you've got a credit card with a balance, a, 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 a limit of £6,000 on it, but you're using a very small percentage of that, that's great. Yeah. Because the lender can see that that you're sensible, you aren't overstretching yourself, you're making those payments in full each month, every single time, or you're making at least the minimum and a little bit. That's showing that you're managing your credit and you've got the flexibility and the um, surplus to, to handle that. Whereas, as I say, if you're up to that £6,000 limit and you're making the minimum repayment each month and you've hardly got any savings and maybe you're a day late each month with that minimum payment, that's no good. But you could still have the same amount of debt outstanding as somebody who is managing it properly. Yeah. So does that apply to things like um, mobile phone contracts? Because I've always maintained... <laughs> Partly out of necessity, I, I, you know, pay as you go on mobile phones doesn't suit the work I do. I, I can't afford to have credit oh. running out. So it's always been yeah. beneficial to me to have a contract. But in the back of yes. my mind, once upon a time, that was also part of a good credit score. Um, but, so it depends on the, actually, on the mobile phone provider for that. Oh, wow. Yeah, because not all of them credit search or record the... Uh, your monthly payments with a credit reference agency. It does depend actually on the mobile phone provider. Okay. And, what I can... and some mobile phone providers, they split the contract. Um, so you could have your handset on one contract and your airtime on another. And it's the monthly payments on the handset that attract a regulated uh, consumer credit agreement, whereas the airtime bit doesn't. But again, it's mobile phone provider specific um, and not something that a lot of people know. It's, uh, the only reason this I ever found this out fully was we I was doing a mortgage for somebody and it came back as the, the lender came back and said there's undisclosed credit. And I was like, where? You know, and the client swore blind. They told me everything. And it turned out that they had their handset because I said, I said, look, what is it? And they said, it's 30 pound a month. And it turned out it was part of their mobile phone agreement. It was down as a credit agreement. It was listed as a credit agreement. Oh, wow. Cause I, the only reason I know a little bit about credit scores and stuff like that from the point of view is money isn't always the key factor is because I used to work in the car trade and right. I've witnessed multimillionaires get refused car credit because they didn't have credit anywhere. So they couldn't do a credit score. And I seen a guy, genuinely seen a guy, he got refused credit on an £80,000 car because he had no credit score because he didn't need to. He always, and he went, all right, so we just paid for it there and then just, okay. just literally did a bank, phoned the bank and transferred the money. But he, he Because they refused him credit because he 
he'd never borrowed. He hadn't needed to borrow anything, or if he wanted something, he just paid for it in cash. But it's, I think it's something to do with camp. I don't quote me. He was just like, okay, I'll go and finance this car rather than just buy it. And he would refuse hmm. finance because they had no credit check on him, no credit score yeah. anywhere. But he yeah. he had enough money, like seriously enough money, that transferring eighty thousand pound did not even dent him for a second. Yeah. But this guy think, couldn't get credit anywhere. Yeah, I think you know, going back years, it was slightly different because it was about have... sort of twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have the technology then that we've got now, where within seconds they've searched everything on that client, so they can. Yeah. And the, the computer systems are, you know, it would blow my mind to even think about it too much. But, you know, they're so sensitive and they pick up everything so that they can profile that person and know whether or not to make a lending decision. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have the opportunity to go in and appeal it if it, if it gets declined. Um, but, yeah, you know, back then we didn't have any of that, did we? Whereas now we do. But it's, it's always stuck with me and I've never seen a change to that, that if you don't have some form of credit score, people have to investigate and whenever they're investigating it creates suspicion, even when look you're 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 the safest lender out there, you know. But so, what would if if somebody wants to develop a good credit score? Is there anything you would recommend they do? Just maintain what you've got within the parameters of that account. Um, so it's, it's just know, always good financial planning then. Just good financial planning, um, you know, and be sensible with it. Don't be blasé about it. You've got to, you know, you've got to be an adult. You've got to step up. You've got to, you've got to be a grown up and manage your accounts correctly. And if you don't know how to do it, which, to be fair, not a lot of people, you know, not everybody does. Speak to somebody that can help you. That's prepared to help you and put you on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people, one, don't know how to manage their money and two, get obsessed with things they think are essential. Yes. You know, and that's, it's always things that you're signing up and subscriptions. It's just like, oh, I, I've got to have, I've got to, no, you, you just, you just don't, you know. Yeah. Very, a lot of that's down to very clever marketing. Yeah, it is. You, it, you know, that you really do need it when in reality don't but the marketing is so is so clever and so moving on now to the you're starting this new business to coincide with the financial advice yeah do you have a name for who you are yet yes yeah um well i'm going to just be diane blackman yeah you know everything under my roof so that's that's going to be it um so the the businesses that i'm bringing in say the mortgage business I've done for like over 20 years really now and the other one I've been um it will be 12 years this July so they're both established businesses but I've always run them separately up until now now it's going to be all together and as I say with the extra value of being able to recommend house house related services um as you know, with no, no, no charge or anything, just, you know, you need to know an electrician, I can recommend one. You need a bathroom fitter, I can recommend one. 
So that's kind of the added value bit. Um, but I can help people save. Basically, it's about saving time, money and stress mm. by bringing it all together. And that's that's really it. You know, and, and it works very well for mortgage for my mortgage clients because they're all excited about moving into their new house. The last thing they want to be thinking about is setting up their bills. Yeah. It's dull. Yeah. Whereas if they can say to me, right, Diane, we've exchanged, we're moving in on such and such a date. Will you help me set that up? And I can set it up for them and show them show them a lovely little way of how their everyday shopping can discount those bills even further. Or as I said, and if they like it, which quite a few people do, um, how they can actually earn a second income by recommending that on to their friends and family. And I, you know, I coach and help them with that so they're not on their own. So how, how does that work then? Um, what, the coaching side? Well, or... this is the, well, is this like household utilities? Is this like... Um... Household utilities, it's essential bills. Yeah. Um, so it's your, it's your energy, your phone, your broadband, um, all brought together under one roof with a shopping card which gets you cash back absolutely everywhere. Okay. Absolutely everywhere. Um, and that comes off of your bill. Um, and also, if people refer me on to their friends and family, so they can either have a referral credit on their bill, or if they're, re if they're recommending me on to a lot of people, they actually like the idea of earning a second income without it affecting what they're already doing. I talk to them about how they can work with me as part of the team. Yeah. I help them get started. So I coach them, I show them what to do, um, hold their hand and let them, you know, they then start to build their own business and then they can start coaching and developing their own team of people. Um, but to be honest, you know, we still work as a team. Even people who joined the business with me 11 years ago, we still work closely together. We still, um, you know, get together for coffees and meetings and sharing ideas and, and, and helping each other build our business because we're building a business within other people's business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and by helping these people become successful, you know, I continue to grow as well. And that's one of my passions is actually working really closely with the team and helping them again, going back to what I said about mortgage clients, finding out why it is that they want to buy the house, not the what, but the why. Yeah. By finding out why these people would like to build an additional income or sack their boss or whatever it is, I then help them make that dream become a reality. And that's one of the things that I absolutely, I love doing it. Well, actually then I'm just going to bring that back to the, the mortgage side. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll get a, just, just give a little context to here. Cause although I worked in the car trade, I worked on the customer service side and it's amazing how many customers won't listen to good advice. Right. Yep. Right. And one of them is, is quite simply, why do you want the car versus what do you want? Because yeah. you know I mean? some people are passionate about cars 
well then don't buy something that doesn't make you passionate somebody doesn't care about a car so right buy buy the car for the purpose you need it and the best example i can give you this a single people who wanted a convertible or a two-seater yeah but i won't be able to give anyone a lift when was the last time you gave anyone a lift anyway and they, they literally, you pin them down. They might not have given anybody a lift for a year, but they'll convince themselves they they can't have a convertible, a two-seater sports car, because it's not practical. But it's the most practical car you'll ever need. And if you ever really get caught out one day, for 100 quid, you can get a hire car for a weekend. Yeah. You know? So what along those lines, what do you find with people when they, I want to buy a house? Again, it's... You know, they, a lot of people feel that renting is dead money, so they think, I want to buy a house. Well, renting isn't necessarily dead money. Go on. It's, you know, you've, you've got to find, you've, you need to, you know, you need to live somewhere. But if you, sometimes I think you could buy the wrong house, whereas if you'd have gone and rented, let's say six months, and worked out exactly what you needed, what you wanted, and then bought you haven't made a costly mistake because if you buy the wrong house and you end up not being happy, so you, you sell it, you could have, well, you're going to have legal fees, state agents fees, stamp duty. Um, you could have early redemption penalties on your mortgage, depending on the term of, of, of or the, you know, the product that you've taken. And yes, you might be able to port the mortgage to a new property, but, you know, that goes into a whole realm of other things. Yeah. But you could have all those other instances because you bought the wrong house. Whereas if you'd have just taken a step back and thought about it and potentially gone, I say, gone into rented for six to 12 months, that's not dead money. You know, renting is with a lot of flexibility. Do you... Once months if you're not happy potentially depending on the terms of your letting agreement obviously yeah with a month's notice you can move somewhere else um you don't have those restraints so you know i necessarily say that renting is dead money i i sold my house um i've been a homeowner since 1992 i sold my house in 2013 because I just didn't want to live there anymore. It was a lovely house. Um, I'd done a lot to it. Um, I'd turned it from a three bed to a four bed. I'd done an awful lot, but honestly, I just didn't want to be there anymore. But I, I didn't also know where I wanted to be. So I ended up actually renting for five and a half years wow. before I found a house that I, I really wanted. And I'm so happy here. I absolutely love my new home. Um, and yes, I I was renting, a, you know, I was paying around £1,000 a month rent. But again, I was renting a lovely place. It made me happy, but it was a stopgap until I'd found what I wanted. So as I say, you know, I think one of those myths that renting is dead money is absolutely not necessarily the case in all circumstances. Obviously, same, we're all unique, we're all individuals, yeah. So, what are the uh, common buying mistakes in? So, like, you know, it's like they buy, I don't know, 
a house with a big garden, but they actually don't like gardening. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. the one that speaks to my. I used to be a tree surgeon, so I used to see this a lot. People yeah. would like, you know, buy a big garden or a big plot of land, and then they don't have the ability, the means, or the interest in maintaining it, and they end up with big bills because you've got to get hardcore people in to, to start putting yeah. hedges and trees right. I mean, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of reasons why buying a house doesn't work out. There's you know from from relationship breakdowns to an unexpected uh, family explosion. You know where you weren't <laughs> expected to have kids and you bought a one bedroom flat and all of a sudden you find you're expecting twins. Or you know, there's all sorts of reasons, yeah. all sorts of reasons. Um, but I think one of the things that Again, I work very closely with some fantastic property lawyers in Salisbury. Um, and one of the things that we always ensure we do, whether the client takes that advice or not, is, is up to them. But we always uh, advise that they get the legal side set up, especially if it's an unmarried couple buying yeah. together or they're putting in a disproportionate amount of the deposits, all of these kind of things. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting buying your buying a home together. Um, you're all loved up. You're all very, very happy. Uh, and so it's just like, yeah, no, it's fine that I've put in more money or whatever. And then five years down the line, it goes horribly wrong. I have seen that so many times. Yeah. We ha- you know, as I say, we've, you know, the, the conveyances that I use, we've all, we've all been in, in our, very, our professions for, a long time so we see it we see the fallout the the legal costs involved in trying to then get a financial settlement whereas in reality if they just got the solicitor to sort it out at the time they bought the house it's yeah. a done deal um but they'll spend more then in legal fees trying to argue it um then just get it all sorted out at the beginning i can honestly say yes. not not personal personal experience but I have seen several friends where one bit uh, my actual friend or their partner put in a disproportional amount of the deposit. And then like you say, it's all great. It's all rosy. We're going to live together forever and ever. Then five years down the line in between shouting every obscenity each other that they can. And the police getting called when it's all getting calmed down. This is, I've seen this so many times. It all calms down. We're now going our separate ways. The one that put in the disproportionate amount wants their share back. Yeah. And it turns out there's nothing in writing. And I think I, I've seen people lose, you know, twenty, thirty thousand pounds because of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's as I say, and it, and it's it's very, very simple to get sorted out at the outset. And and again, I will say to people, you know, this isn't the kind of conversation that I know you're going to want to have, but it's important that you have it now and get it sorted then and i hope you never need to use uh the the declaration of trust or whatever it is that your solicitor recommends because it's down to this the solicitor will recommend the best solution to cover specific circumstances so it's you know whatever the solicitor recommends to protect your individual assets as you bring this together it's easier to sort it out at the beginning than it is as a safe two five ten twenty yeah. years years down the line and as i say it's not a nice conversation to have to have it's a bit like when we're talking about 
protecting the family in the event of one of the uh, what we yes. call it a event happening um because it's not a nice conversation to have but sadly it does happen yeah, it's true yeah you put it in place it you know that's an even worse conversation to have to have so you know whilst it's not as i say it's not the, the best conversation to have it's an important conversation to have and it is all part of being an adult and a grown-up and it what comes with house ownership it's you know? yeah, it's true because if, if something happens to you then the other person is the one that's left to deal with it and if, yeah. if it's yeah. and if you and if you have kids and if you you know um yeah if you have children and stuff like that if, if you haven't yeah. prepared yourself and you've not put in things they're homeless that is that is the bottom line yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is you know it, it's not <laughs> it nice but hey <laughs> guess what on, on top of the bill for burying the poor person you're going to be kicked out of your house as well because none of you put anything in place yeah because it's important that you know the financial aspect is ring fenced away so you know if that if something was to happen hmm. you can focus on the emotional side of things and looking after yourself or your children or whatever it is, as opposed to, oh my God, I've now got to fund the mortgage as well. You know, lenders are quite, you know, they will be quite okay with it for a while, but at the end of the day, you, you owe them money. Yeah, I and mean, you, I, I, yeah, like you say, they'll, they'll give you a grieving period. Like, hey, yes, they do. this must be really difficult for you. And I'd imagine some yeah. of those grieving periods can be quite generous. Yeah. But there's a point at which, because you don't even have to have kids. You can just be two people genuinely romanced up, bought a house, bought a flat together. Ten years down the line, something unfortunate happens. And yeah. you're on a single salary having to pay a two-salary mortgage. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the bottom line. Or And it's it's also things like ill health, and because people don't yeah. realise the impact of ill health but oh it's okay you know my parents will help me if i go off sick or oh we get state benefits you know state benefits aren't that fantastic if five years down the line your parents aren't in a position to bail you out it as i say it's about taking responsibility and some people don't want to and that's absolutely their choice that's absolutely their choice if they don't want to all we can do or you know as, as an advisor is make them aware of the potentials whether they to act on it is entirely down to them so has lending changed because i remember a long time ago in the 90s it was very difficult when you were having a mortgage to not have mortgage protection yeah it's not um it's not a requirement it's no. not a requirement However, it is highly recommended. Yeah. Um, you know, having been in the industry since, or the profession since I, uh, I've had the unfortunate situation where I've had to deal with claims. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've had that phone call of either somebody's died or somebody's contracted some cancer or had a heart attack or, or something along those lines. And we've been able to help them claim on the process of the policy to help them continue and, and do whatever it is that they, they want to do. 
Um, sadly, I've also had conversations the other way around where they've not taken out any protection for themselves or their family. Something's gone wrong and now they don't know what to do. And, you know, those are the most, that's one of the downsides yeah. of this, this role. Um, most of the time it's lovely. It's lovely getting thank yous and, you know, I, I quite regularly flowers and wine and chocolate from clients because they, they love the service they get. And so that is just fantastic. I love that bit. I love helping people get their keys. The satisfaction of knowing that I've helped somebody get their keys is great. Um, but as I say, getting a call where it's, you know, this has happened and we've had a six month bereavement um, holiday with the lender. But now they are saying that that I need to, to start paying the mortgage. And when I've had the interview with the mortgage advisor, I'm not earning enough to take that mortgage on on my own. Because they're not, not salary down. <laughs> um, so I've now got to set about selling the house. What can I do? And, you know, the only option is to sell the house. Yeah, that is the, if there was no life assurance or, or anything provision put in place, that, that would, in most circumstances, be the only option. And that is so hard. So, so hard. That's, yeah, that's, that's the worst. It, that is, that is the worst. It's, uh, it's yeah. kind of understand that because I work in, with people with head injuries. So you don't yes. ever meet me unless you've had an accident that you didn't recover from. Yeah. 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 You know, David, <laughs> that life does happen. And these, these life-changing injuries happen on just a, on the turn of a sequence, don't they? On a daily basis. Yeah. You know, I, I wish, you know, look, I, I could be, re you know, could be reckless. I surf, I do, you know, I do lots of things. Um, mm. But I am very very well aware of because of my line of work how people went to work one day and six months later i now take care of them yeah yeah, yeah. and they're they're just you know look I'm not, there isn't an easy way to say this but if you require 24-hour care your life has been changed beyond recognition yes you know and that's, that's you know, probably the best place to end this is with what you were just saying. You know, if you're going to buy a house for somebody, you know, God willing, be blessed and all of that. But if, yeah. please listen to the financial advice, because yeah, as I say, you just need to be an adult about it and grown up about it, and and take responsibility. I think that the things you asked me about credit and all of that, it is about taking responsibility. And that's uh, and just before we cut that off, the what is the best way to get in touch with you? Um, is through my email address. Yep. Which, um, would be Diane at DianeBlackman.co.uk. Perfect. Whether and... mortgage advice or anything else, that's my own generic email address. And then, depending on what it is that we're looking to organise, we go um, one way yeah. or the other. No, absolutely, and I will. If you can, yeah, when your website is up and running, let me know and I'll make yeah. sure all of those links are available. And thank Excellent. you very much. No problem. Thanks, David.